for us, once we get into the investigation, it really is um, exciting. And there is an adrenaline rush and we do get startled. Uh, you know, if something, if you hear footsteps running at you down a dark corridor or a door is slamming, yeah, we'll get startled. Um, but we actually turn and go towards it to try to figure out what's going on. So oh. I, can honest, I can honestly say. <laughs> Have you not watched any horror movies? You've got to go the other way. Yeah. That's right. Well, the old time. You know, there'll be times when I'll tell my sister to go first. Cracky. I just got what a what an ill-timed notification that was on the tablet. Just come through halfway through intro music. Uh, oh, never mind. We're doing it live, don't we? So we'll just have to get on with it. Uh, hello, welcome. It's Amish Inquisition time yet again on Sunday the nineteenth of July, episode one four one. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. And tonight's guest is Christy Sumner. Chris is the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal. Hey, sister. Go. An all-female troop of paranormal investigators travelling the length and breadth of the United States in order to probe into some of the country's most reportedly haunted locations. Uh, If you go to soulsistersparanormal.com, there's tons of great information on there, videos, um, all the social media links. And as usual, all those links will be in the episode description as well, eavesdroppers, if you scroll down. So welcome, Christy. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me this evening. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. I'm excited about this one. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I've been been looking forward to this for a few weeks now. I hope this isn't too anticlimactic for you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, paranormal investigating, I mean, how do you get into that? Did you have some sort of childhood experience or something? You know, we didn't, we did not have a childhood experience and I'm kind of probably one of the few paranormal investigators to say that, but you know, for us, it actually started out as a girl's weekend. Um, We had the opportunity to uh, go to the weekend in Glendale, West Virginia, which is right outside Moundsville, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And we had a family friend that sits on the board of the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And he said, why don't y'all come in and stay the night and and see if you can find any any paranormal activity. And we always knew that if we got the opportunity to investigate that we'd jump on it. So we did. We all met up there because we're all from different parts of the country. We all met up in Moundsville, West Virginia, and conducted an investigation. This was the end of 2013, and um, just had a ball. We we caught some very compelling evidence, what we felt was compelling evidence. And then after that, we just really decided to formalize the group. So we came up with our name and and uh, uh, our trademark and our logo and all of that, and just decided to start traveling the country and see what we could find. Yeah. And did this penit- penitentiary have a, a reputation for being haunted? 
It does. It's pro- it's one of the top 10 locations in the country uh, with reported paranormal activity. And we actually have a familial connection in that our grandpa was a prison guard there when it was an operation. So to have that experience where we're actually walking the cell blocks where we knew our grandpa was walking the cell blocks was a very surreal experience for us. And so that first investigation was extremely rudimentary. We had a couple of digital cameras, a couple of voice recorders, um, one night vision video camera, and the the, the evidence that we captured were things like door slamming. We heard um, very compelling put, uh, footsteps. We heard a couple of male voices when we were the only females in the in the area. So we had no males. So when we capture a male voice, that's extremely telling to us. And so, like I said, we came away from that experience just really hooked, if you will, on on paranormal investigations. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Sorry, was it is it a, a derelict penitentiary? There's nobody else. It wasn't actually. There's was no part of it that was functioning. No, no, it closed in uh, 1995. So, um, yeah, they actually have, uh, you can go in and take day tours. You can reserve it to do paranormal um, investigations. Mm-hmm. It's been used as a movie set uh, for a while. So uh, it's, right now it's, it's run by a board and that's how they get uh, money for it. Right. But it's it, it's a it's a gothic structure. Uh, it, you know, when you look at it, it's extremely imposing. It takes up a large footprint, almost a whole city block, I believe. And so it's it's very imposing. They had several cell blocks, and um, to us, like I said, it was just an amazing experience and one that really catapulted us into our paranormal investigations. Mm. Wow. Um, I was going to say. Um, uh, you, you called Soul Sisters. It's an all-female group. One of the things I was thinking about is, is there some sort of relation between female intuition and um, your abilities, if you like? You know, that's a great question. And I do believe that there is. Um, I believe for us anyway, what I personally think is, is that females bring a sort of empathy to an investigation, probably more so than males do, uh, because we don't go in with a lot of bravado. We don't go in with, you know, chest thumping or anything like that. We legitimately want to tell the story and investigate the history of these locations. And so for us, you know, it it is, um, I think, one of those type of groups where, you know, we don't go in as being imposing, but rather we want to tell the history and any compelling and uh, show any compelling paranormal activity that we capture at those locations. Um, and then also we actually have um, a familial connection as well in that three of us are actually sisters. So it's myself, my twin <laughs> sister, my younger sister, and then two family friends. Yeah. Nice. I was going to say, the, um, I, I was watching your videos earlier in the week and I really enjoyed the background history and like the opening sections of each video and I felt, felt like I came away learning something, you know, as well as enjoying the, you know, the getting all the gear out and doing the investigating. Uh, I really uh, appreciate the the amount of background work you obviously do before you go in and investigate. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I do appreciate you watching the videos. And that's really what we try to instill in our videos. Um, for us, the history of the locations is so incredibly important because without the history, we wouldn't have the paranormal. And so for us to be able to go and experience these locations, such as, you know, a Civil War fort or um, the St. Augustine Lighthouse or the Velisca X Murder House, to be able to step into these locations and actually get a tactile feel for the history, um, rather than just looking at it on Google or, or in a book, to us is extremely compelling and and something that we want to um, convey to our audience. So even if we were to go to a location and not 
capture any paranormal activity, we would still produce a video because the history is so important. And we would just say, you know, this wasn't our night. But if you look at this history in, in the historical context, you still should go and visit this place and, and preserve it for future generations. Well, yeah, I guess most of the places that you do work in, um, they are open to the public, aren't they? Most of the time as, as hotels and, and uh, mm. tourist attractions sort of thing. Correct. We we do two types of investigations. The first is what I would call a commercial investigation. So those are things like the Velisca Axe Murder House or the Lizzie Borden House or West Virginia State Penitentiary. So they are open to the public. You can take day tours. You can rent them for paranormal investigations or, you know, for movie sets if you want. And then we also do residential and business investigations. And those investigations are where we actually get called by a homeowner or a business owner to come and investigate to see if we can capture any paranormal activity and, and if, if we actually believe that there is something that is occurring inside their residence or their business. So we use the commercial ones to really build our portfolio um, to kind of showcase what we do, our style, um, our tools, and that sort of thing. The residentials, um, we kind of keep those more private unless the individual allows us to make a video of it. Um, we we do that in, in more of a private capacity and that's for the homeowner, the business owner themselves. Yeah. I guess it'd be a legal minefield otherwise, wouldn't it? You've got to um, be careful with people's property and uh, getting permission to release uh, footage and all that stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. Is there a, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Chris. Um, I was going to say, is there, a, is there a link with any of the urban explorers um, from, from that sort of, area of, of thinking where they go into these old abandoned kind of buildings just to just to take photos and, and record the um you know the history of it is there any crossover with that do you have any experience working with with urbex guys I do actually. Um, one of the investigators that we collaborate with pretty closely is Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations, and she is actually an urban explorer. So she, you know, she takes her motorcycle and her jeep, and she goes in, and explores these locations. And we do similar things, but we don't really call ourselves uh, urbex. Um, you know, we're more the the paranormal investigators. Um, yeah. I would liken uh, that more toward ghost hunters, if you will, those that just go in and, and either are looking for a very quick history or a very quick scare um, uh, on, on a Saturday night or something like that. What we really try to do is delve into the research, to delve into the history, to really showcase what happened there, why it's important in terms of, of history and historical preservation, and really convey that. So while we do have a little bit of urbex ex experience, that's really not our focal point. Okay, oh, that's cool. um, the, going going back to the history again. I was quite fascinated with that sort of unsolved murder, the double axe murder. I can't remember <laughs> the name of the house it now. Lizzie, Lizzie Borden. Borden. Yes, Lizzie Borden, and coincidentally, today is Lizzie Borden's birthday. Oh! Uh, she she was born in eighteen sixty <laughs> on this day. Um, so that I thought that was kind of neat. Um. But the Lizzie Borden house is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, throughout the paranormal community, it is known as a paranormal hotspot. And uh, so for us to go and, and investigate that and actually be in that location to us was uh, really an amazing experience because, you know, you hear, like I said, you hear about these things in books or you read about them or you watch other television shows that do investigations there, but to actually go in and, and see the scope of it and right. really see the footprint of it uh, to us, it really opened our eyes to some aspects of the murder. And, you know, really it's like, okay, the, if, if, if this happened here, how didn't anybody see it? That sort of thing. Right. Um, so to actually be in these locations, such as the, the Lizzie Borden house and see where the murders actually occurred, 
is extremely uh, is an extremely cool experience for us. Um, so when we went in there, there were actually five females that night. So it was four of us and, and Miranda from Ghost Biker, and uh, it was it was extremely compelling in, in the evidence that we captured because throughout the night we were actually seeing shadow figures. We captured male voices. Again, there's no there's no male on the team or there was no male on the property that night, and uh, so to be able to capture that and um, really showcase that in our um, a video. Video was extremely compelling for us. Yeah, I bet. Kind of like a, a boxer boxing at Madison Square Garden, I guess. I was just going to ask you about... Go on, Matt. Go on, Matt. No, it's all right. It was a throwaway was comment. Say, go on. <laughs> I was just going to say, I had a question about sort of like the equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there kind of a, an accepted range of equipment i guess is is the term that you use to kind of capture these things because you kind of the thing that i've never heard of you i don't know if it was kind of pointed out in that lizzie borden video was it something called a spirit box never yes. heard of one of those but can you explain <laughs> what one of those is Sure, absolutely. And just to, to backstrap just a little bit for your question, you know, all paranormal investigators have their go-to equipment, if you will. And so we actually do have a range of different things that we utilize. The first one and the most um, the most used by us is the voice recorder. Because yeah. to me, I feel that an EVP or an electronic voice phenomena um, is something that is extremely hard to debunk. Again, if I capture a male voice or I capture a child's voice, it's very hard for me to explain that. Um, So I come away with some compelling, unexplainable evidence. Um, The spirit box is actually a piece of equipment that we use, and it's a small AM FM radio. And it's designed to very quickly sweep through frequencies. So when you turn it on and you start sweeping, it basically, it it sounds like you're sweeping through radio stations. So you hear it as you're going through the the frequencies. So theoretically, what is supposed to happen is spirits are supposed to be able to speak through the white noise um, of those radio stations. So when when you have one running, you, it's very, it's highly unlikely that you hear a full phrase or a sentence or a word or something like that because it's it, it, as you're, you're sweeping so quickly through radio stations. So to hear a complete phrase is pretty much unheard of because you know, you're going through so fast through these frequencies. Um, so we've used it on several investigations and we've been very fortunate to capture um, several com- compelling pieces of evidence. We did use it at the Lizzie Borden house. Um, the most successful example that we had was we were actually investigating at what's called the Mob Barker house in central Florida. And this was the site of the 1935 shootout between the FBI and two members of the Barker Carpus gang, who were the most ruthless gang uh, of robbers uh, in the U.S. between the 1920s and the 1930s. So they had a shootout in that house and Ma, who was the patriarch of the gang and uh, or the matriarch in the gang and her son, Freddie, were killed in that house. So when we investigated, we took the spirit box and we took it up to the room where their bodies were found and we turned it on and the, you know, it was going through the frequencies and I asked what happened in this room and we got the phrase, they murdered us, we're the ones dead. And so again, it, it was completely germane to the situation, obviously, because they were killed in the house and we shouldn't capture that full phrase because it's sweeping so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we've used that tool with success on many investigations. Wow. 
What what else is in your sort of standard loadout when you're going on an investigation? <laughs> well, like I said, the first thing is our voice recorders. We've got 10 of those suckers. Yep. So we take them everywhere. Um, you know, we all have one on us and we leave them in different locations so um, are they, on the property. Are they recording continuously or, or are they triggered to come on um, when there's a noise? No, they, they record continuously. Right. So when I, so what we do first is we go into a location and we actually do a day tour and we scout out where we're going to leave all of our equipment when we go in the night of the investigation. So we really take notes on environmental factors, where we're going to leave this equipment and so, so on and so forth. So then when we go in for the night of the investigation, we'll turn on, we'll push record on the voice recorders and just leave them sit and they'll run throughout the entire length of the investigation. So when we go back and listen to, to our footage, our audio and video footage, we're actually listening listening to however many hours they, they ran. Um, so we have voice recorders. We have some night vision video cameras that we deploy in different areas of the building or the property. Um, we have, again, that spirit box. We have K2 meters what, uh, that are designed to measure electromagnetic energy. Um, mm-hmm. We have some REM pods, which are designed to do th- the same thing. Um, and then we have different alarms, uh, like laser grids and, and different alarms that will go off if there's their motion triggered. Um, so we, we do uh, deploy those on occasion. Um, and we've used other things such as an ovalis, which is a, a box that actually um, you, you turn it on and the spirits can use it to actually formulate words. So we've used that successfully on a couple of, of investigations. Um, so that's pretty much our standard equipment. And then above and beyond that, we have um, extensive trigger items, what we call trigger items. So during our research of these locations, we will design trigger items based on what we find in that research. So for example, if we're going to an axe. Um, say, I'm sorry, an axe, for example. Yeah, ex- and that's it. Exactly. When we went to Villisca, we had a hatchet. Um, so we did. We took an axe. Um, uh, if we're to prison, we'll take cigarettes um, oh, or right. some whiskey or something like that. Um, you know, there's uh, there's been times where we've uh, we've actually investigated Fort Mifflin, which is in Philadelphia. And that was a Revolutionary War fort. They had a solitary confinement cell there, so we took some water and some bread, and in, in an attempt to, uh, to elicit a response from any entity that could be present. Um, so we're, we're very big on trigger items. So we have a, a large array of those, and if we don't have anything in our arsenal, then we'll design it or or purchase it for the investigation. Right. Is that a common technique in the in the param- paranormal investigating world? World these trigger items. For a lot of investigators, it is um, because it really tries to bring out a sense of the familiar with any entities that we're speaking with. Um, So again, like I said, we're very big on taking cigarettes into prisons because most prisoners would have smoked during that during their incarceration. That's one thing that they could get pretty easily in prison. Um, But we really try to go above and beyond and and really kind of uh, put out unique uh, trigger items, if you will. So for example, um, at the West Virginia State Penitentiary there in Moundsville, one of the prisoners that was there, his name was Red Snyder, a bad guy. He was a murderer. So he was in jail for life. And um, he was actually killed by other inmates during his incarceration. But one of the things that he liked to do is he liked to watch the soap opera days of our lives. So every day they would wheel this television in in front of his jail cell, let him watch days of our lives, and then they'd wheel it back out. So what we did is we actually downloaded an episode of Days of Our Lives on our laptop and took it in and played it for him um, in an attempt to get some, you know, reaction. And I believe we did. So we captured several EVPs there. We were able to capture um, some really cool K2, what we call K2 activity. Um, so for us, that was an, a successful trigger item. And so we, we do that at, uh, at every location that we go to. 
What what was the K two uh, meter again? Was that the electromagnetic? It, it does. It, me- it measures energy. For lack of a better term, it, it just measures uh, energy fields. So, for example, if I were to hold it up, it, it's got a, a light array. So it goes from green to red. So if I were just to stand out in the middle of a field with no electricity, it would be it would stay stationary on green. Right. If I were to hold it up to a microwave, it, it jumps to red because it's measuring that energy level. It's actually used by electricians in the field. So when we go to these locations that have no power, Um, or no electricity to them, and we get K2 spikes, that's an unexplainable occurrence to us because it, if there's, there theoretically should not be anything acting upon it. Um, because when we go in, we make sure we have, we do not have our cell phones there. You know, yeah. we put them at base camp, anything that gives off any type of energy we do not have on our person. So if that were to happen, if we were to capture that spike, that's compelling evidence to us. Right. And so do you, do you sort of cut the power off to the building as well while you're in there? A, a lot of places we do ask that, um, but most of Just them assuming have they're not no derelicts, like yeah. So, like the Ma Barker House, there's no electricity to the house. The West Virginia State Penitentiary, same thing. Um, there are some that have power, like the Velisca House or the Lizzie Borden House. But in that case, we take the K2 meters around and we find any hot spots. So we know that if the K2 meter is around that that hot spot, then it's probably not paranormal activity. Um, and also for us, what we do is we like to validate on different pieces of equipment. So if I have, you know, a K2, some K2 act- activity over here and it's c- pretty compelling, but if I also catch an EVP, if I also have my laser grids being activated, if I have my alarm activated, that to me just builds my case for compelling paranormal activity. Yeah. Synchronizing your, your evidence rather than just relying on one, one piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think it's important to stress um, what I noticed off your website is that um, you do not charge. Correct. Um, you don't take any travel expenses or board or anything like that. You, you know, this isn't because uh, I can imagine what the skeptic, the, the hardcore mm-hmm. skeptics are thinking when they're listening. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's important to stress. Absolutely. Um, everything that we do is self-funded. Um, we do, if we do a residence or a business, we do not charge for that. And you're absolutely right because I, I don't want it to come back and say, oh, well, you're just faking this evidence so you can get money. Um, I was recently asked why I don't have our YouTube channel monetized. And it's for that very reason, because, really? you know, I, I want it to be essentially free to the public. And if, if I have any type of monetary um, connection to that, then people can come back and say well you're just doing it to get more views on your youtube channel so um you're, you're absolutely right we don't monetize for that very reason and, and we don't have um it, it's all self-funded wow that's um yeah i can't believe that's i hadn't thought about the youtube but i mean that really shows the sort of um the level of integrity that you bring into this study uh, so well, we try great. to. Absolutely. We try to, um, you know, for us, it, it's, we are, like I said, an all group, uh, all female group and in, in sort of a male dominated industry, if you will, and an industry that's already a subculture to the mainstream. So for us, we're fighting a couple battles. And so what we really try to display is that sense of professionalism that might not be apparent um, to what I would call normal society. So for us, you know, it was very important to. Just hang on one sec. Can you still hear me? It's at you lot. 
times where I've been skeptic of, of things that may have been perceived as paranormal in certain locations. Um, so for example, if, if other teams tell me, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's this demon that's in this location and you not, you can't go in there and, and all of this other stuff to me, I'm a little bit skeptical of that until I will experience it for myself. Um, yes. or, or if I can find evidence to debunk it, because what we really do is we do go in with, a, um, a healthy skepticism, if you will, of each location, because mm-hmm. we really do try to find if there's any environmental factors that are causing the reported haunting. Um, so that's why we always take a day tour to determine where street lights are, to determine where traffic noises would come from, uh, neighborhood dogs, kids, uh, air traffic going over. We, we take co- copious notes of each location that we go to, to account for that, uh, environmental factors. Um, so for us, you know, when we go into these locations, we do go in with that sense of, you know, we may not catch anything tonight. You know, we, we, we may not, but then we've been fortunate enough to, to capture some things that I can't explain. Right. Excellent. That's key, isn't it? Um, I was really intrigued by, um, I think it was one of one in one of the penitentiaries where, um, something or other was throwing stones at the camera. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had that a couple of times, and that was at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in uh, in Tennessee, and that location is is just an amazing location because it, it's built in the crook of a of a mountain range, so it's down in this valley. It's very isolated. You know, you go up this windy road to get to it, and you you roll up on it, and it's just it's immense. It's just a huge complex. It was a maximum security penitentiary. Um, it was it was uh, it started in 1867, and it ran until uh, 2009 um, as a maximum security prison. And so it was it was horrific in some of the things that happened inside the prison to the prisoners uh, by guards and by other prisoners and so you're right we set up a a night vision video camera in one of the cell blocks and when we went back and watched that footage I mean it was amazing it it happened um, it started we set up our equipment probably around nine o'clock that night and at around 11 30 is when it started and it was just little pings of of rocks just it, it coming from every direction so i put a quick montage on the video uh, of the of that activity but it happened for probably about three or four hours um, wow. and it was just it was extremely compelling and we also caught the evp there um, but for us we've been to brushy a couple of times and it's just an amazing location in tor- in terms of the history as well as the paranormal activity that we've captured yeah, I mean, I saw it, and I'm and I'm immediately trying to rationalise it in my brain, like something must be falling from the roof or something. It's derelict, but they seem, they're coming from all different directions and pinging off here, there, and everywhere. It's like. I can't explain that, really, you know. <laughs> and we couldn't either. And, you know, we had we had cameras set up in every cell block, and that was the only one that it occurred in. And, you know, like I said, if, if that was the only thing that we captured, I'd say, okay, that was really cool. But both uh, both of our investigations at Brushy has yielded such amazing, uh, compelling evidence. I mean, we've captured, you know, the best set of footprints or footsteps that I've heard um, on a cell block um, when nobody was even in that building at the time time you know hard it sounded like hard heavy boots just walking down the cell block and you know we captured numerous male evps we've captured shadow figures um door slamming uh uh, cell doors just opening and closing so to me i I absolutely love investigating at brushy so the rock throwing was definitely a unique experience though going back to the the footsteps what's when you when you first hear the footsteps 
what are you what are you rule, trying to rule out first? Like I'm tr- I'm trying to think of things like pipes clanging and noises in the building. What what's do you, do you have a, a process where you try and rule out things once you've I suppose the thing is you, you after you've reviewed the evidence you've already finished so you can't go back, can you? Well, for for so what we do for our evidence review so. Like I said, we have these voice recorders and say I've got 10 of them all running for 10 hours. That's how many hours I'm listening to. So I just take the voice recorder and I put my earphones in and I just hit play. And so I'll listen to that in its entirety. And if I, if I capture something, so, so most of the time, like 99% of the time, all you hear is just, just silence or a little bit of static. So when something breaks that to me, I, I can pick it up very quickly. So I'll clip that and I'll label it like, you know, EVP one cell block one, and I'll clip it and I'll send it to everybody else on the team. And I'll say, all I'll say is, can you hear anything in this clip? And if they do, then we discuss, you know, what do you think it's saying? What do you hear? Um, And if we don't come up with a consensus, then I rule that out. I don't put it in the video because to me, I think our team is a microcosm of our audience. So if I can't get something that that we can all agree on, then it doesn't make it to the video. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of ended up on quote unquote, the cutting room floor, if you will. Um, So for us, when I heard those footsteps, and, and another thing that we do uh, during the night is we all have body cameras on. So I have a timestamp of where everybody is located uh, during the night. So if I capture something, I get that time on the recorder and I cross-reference it with where everybody is in the building. So for those footsteps that we captured, everybody was out in another building because it's a huge complex that has multiple buildings. So there was nobody in that building at the time. It was just a, it was just caught on a stationary voice recorder that was left to run by itself. And so for me, I mean, it, it, it was very clear that you hear the boom, 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 coming up the stairs. And uh, it, it was, like I said, the most compelling um, uh, audio footsteps that we've ever captured. And then during the night, we would hear him in the moment. You know, we'd be standing there and you hear footsteps coming up the stairway and you know that there's nobody else on the property. So you're expecting somebody co- to come around the door, uh, the door frame, and nobody ever does. The footsteps, mm. they just stop. So for me, again, that's very compelling. That's uh, even more interesting in, in some in some ways in some of your videos in that you seem to be interacting with mm-hmm. something there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially at Brushy. Um, the most compelling piece of evidence that we captured there was on our second investigation. And it just happened to be with Miranda from Ghostbiker again. And we had what we call a REM pod, which is similar to our K2 meter, but it actually alarms and it has a light array on it. So when you when there's two lights that are constantly red, but if something were to interact with it, they would go to another color. So we set that in the middle of the gymnasium um, and we had several other things that lit up so we had a glow balloon we had a couple of glow sticks and and so that was the only light source in the entire gymnasium so we put those in the middle of the gym and then we stepped back probably i'd say about 20 feet and we have a semicircle around all of this equipment and so we're all standing there we're asking questions and i very quickly i see a shadow cut off the lights of the REM pod, like something ran right in front of the REM pod. And Miranda just happened to be holding what we call an SLS camera. And essentially what this camera is in general terms, it's a camera connected to an iPad. And when you scan it across a room, if it perceives something as human, it will display it as a stick figure on the screen. So while she's standing there and she hasn't moved while she's standing there holding this camera, something alerts on her camera at the same time I saw the shadow figure. So I said, you know, an expletive, did everybody see that? And 
So, You're allowed to so, swear, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said that and I said, you know, holy shit, did anybody else see that? And, and Miranda said, yeah, I caught it on the SLS camera. So as we're watching it again, it crosses back in front of the REM pod and that was captured on camera. Uh, so to me, that was extremely compelling because, again, we're, we're, we're all sitting still in this semicircle. So there's no way that something could have run in front of that REM pod. And it did it twice. So that was probably the most compelling evidence that we captured at brushy um sorry i just want to say ben did you ask uh, chris if she got scared at all before no, that's what i was going i know to i was yeah i was going to ask that because i i would be terrified <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all it is is we lost we lost freaky. audio for about 30 seconds i had to reset the roadcaster so i lost some of your audio but i thought oh, that's sorry. what you're asking but uh, oh, that's oh. A, ask it now ben <laughs> So, Chris, uh, <laughs> are you ever scared on these expeditions then? Or um, is you know, just natural now? For us, once we get into the investigation, it really is um, exciting. And there is an adrenaline rush, and we do get startled. Uh, you know, if something, if you hear footsteps running at you down a dark corridor or a door is slamming, yeah, we'll get startled. Um, but we actually turn and go towards it to try to figure out what's going on. So oh. I, can honest, I can honestly say. <laughs> Have you not watched any horror movies? You've supposed to go the other way. Yeah. That's right. Well, the old time. You know, there'll be times when I'll. Tell Tell my sister to go first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for us, it, it, it's such, um, you know, it, it, it really is an amazing experience when you're in these locations and, and something that you can't explain is, is causing this. And, and we want to try to find out those answers. And so I can honestly say we've never run out of a building. We've never run out screaming. We've never screamed. Um, you know, like I said, we have been startled like a, oh shit moment or what the hell was that? Um, but we turn and actually go towards it. And, uh, you know, for me, you, you watch some of these television shows where you have the team members running out and it's so counterintuitive to me because you're going into look for this and and so when you find it why are you running out screaming um so i've I've always been able i haven't been able to rationalize that because for me it's always like let's go towards it and see what happens (laughs) yeah you can't believe anything you see on tv (laughs) no you you really can't um i mean i understand the sensationalism of it Uh, you have to build that audience base obviously um but when you really know what goes on with a paranormal investigation it it really is different than what you see on popular television Um, you know they wrap everything up in this nice 60 minute segment and you know we're in a location for 8 10 12 24 hours sometimes and and then the evidence review takes us three four weeks before we can actually produce a video and get it out Um, so it, it is a lot different than what you see on television but I think television has has done us a service uh, paranormal investigators it, uh, as a whole a service because it does highlight that we are out there and that we're doing this obviously the disservice is that people want um, immediate uh, you know when we go on an investigation and I put it on Facebook that we're going to be at the Lizzie Borden house you know the very next day well, what'd you find where's your video um, and it, 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 there is no that immediate gratification of investigation to video because that's not how we do it do you think you've been looking your hit right as far as finding evidence in your investigations? We've been actually very, um, very excited about the things that we found in our investigations. Yes. Um, I think we've been very fortunate in the stuff that we've been able to, to find. And it's been very compelling in each of the locations that we've gone to. Yeah. And this is nothing new, you know, 
I mean, I know from, you know, studying bits of ancient history that I have, that, you know, haunted houses, reports of haunted houses go back to Roman times. Mm-hmm. You know, Pliny the Younger, I think, uh, you know, shortly after, uh, after the time of Jesus, <laughs> I think that might be the first recorded haunted house. Um, mm-hmm. Even Homer, even Homer talks about spirits and the spirit realm and apparitions. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, William Shakespeare in, in, uh, yeah. in Hamlet, you know, that Hamlet saw a ghost and yeah, he Beth, has to have that reference point. There has to be that reference. I mean, even back in biblical times when, when Christ came, uh, was before he ascended, the disciples thought he was a ghost. The OG you have to ghost, have that reference yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's definitely been around. Um, it's just that for us, social media and the ability to get that those those instant results, if you will, um, it, it's like I said, it's, it's a really cool time because we can get out there that we're doing these investigations. We can promote our investigations and we can promote us very quickly. But on the flip side, the way we produce our videos, it's not instantaneous. And uh, so we, and, but that's by design. I mean, we, we want to have the history highlighted. We want to have the location highlighted. We want to methodically go through all of the footage and audio and video footage that we captured. So it's, it's not an instantaneous thing for us. So, like I said, it, in in today's terms, um, the, the, there is some great things that have happened from social media and, and public te- or po- uh, popular television. But then there are some things that have, have been a hindrance for us. Yeah, I was going to ask as well. Um, why do you think they're there, the spirits? Is it like you know when you watch films and TV shows and things like that? These kind of the trapped because something mm-hmm. awful has happened in the house or the location. But what she what's your kind of view is why they're there, why it happens? I actually have three theories on that. Um, The first one is I do believe that there is some form of unfinished business. Um, So for example, um, the the best example that I have is um, about four years ago, I had a very vivid dream that my granddaddy who died in 1986, uh, he came to me in this dream about four years ago. And um, I asked him in the dream, I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. So about two weeks later, my Nana was in an accident and she broke her hip and she never really recovered. She was in hospice for about four weeks. And um, on the day she passed, with permission from my family, on the day she passed, about three hours after, my sister and I went to the location in the house where the dream was. And I said, Nana's going to be meeting granddaddy at this location. I know it. So because she was in hospice for so long, we had the power turned off at her house. And so we took our K2 meters and during, while we were there in that room, which was the room in my dream, um, I asked, Nana, are you here? And the K2 meters went off and I actually had two of them. One was gray and one was black. And I said, if you're here, can you just light up the black one? And the black one lit up. I said, if you're here just to verify, can you light up the gray one? And the gray one lit up. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was validation that in my mind, they met up and that was granddaddy's unfinished business. That's why he was there. And so then they moved on together because we went back a week later, did the same exact experiment and did not get anything on our, RR meters, nothing red. So the first one is, I think they have unfinished business. The second one is that I think that they may be stuck. For some reason, they they don't know how to get to the next realm, call it heaven or, you know, plane or whatever you want to call it. They can't get there. Um, the example that I have for that is we were investigating Hales Bar Dam in Tennessee, 
And the reports are that um, during the construction, um, two kids were killed. Um, and so when we were investigating there, we were down in the tunnel system that runs under the dam. And one of the investigators said, why are you here? Why haven't you moved on? And we got a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. So for me, I think that he knows he's dead, but he doesn't know how to get to wherever he's supposed to go next. And then the third one is, I think they remain because they're scared of what happens next, whether it be retribution um, for their life on earth or, you know, whether they, they're just comfortable with where they're at, uh, they don't want to move on. And I'll go back to the West Virginia State Penitentiary in Red Cell, the gentleman who liked uh, uh, Days of Our Lives, um, you know, I think because he was, um, you know, such a high you know, in the gang world there, because he was such a high member, he just likes it there. He doesn't want to move on because I think he's scared of what's going to happen next to him. So he's cool just to hang out at, at uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary. So those are the three reasons that I think um, spirits remain. Those, uh, those two boys trapped under the dam, did you not? I mean, is it, I'd feel quite bad that I couldn't help them move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not much you can do, I suppose, while you're uh, in your mortal coil. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and what, way to go with Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for, for me, it was heartbreaking. When I heard that EVP, I was heartbroken. But also... In, in what we do, um, we don't profess to be mediums. We don't profess to be um, those that are going to help spirits cross into the light. That I don't feel that's what we do. Now, if, if, a, if a business owner or a residential owner calls us and wants that type of service, we'll do the investigation and then we'll call somebody in like a priest or a demonologist or something like that. But when we're at these commercial locations, such as the dam, I don't own the dam. Um, I'm not the proprietor of the dam. So I don't feel it's my place as an investigator in the dam to help that spirit cross over. Now, if the owner of the dam wants to do that, obviously that's her prerogative. Um, but for me, that it's, I, I, I wouldn't feel right, I guess, in doing that. Even though to me it was extremely compelling and extremely heartbreaking, um, I don't feel like I'm the person to do it. I totally get that. I won't want to be getting mixed up in the... Um... Mm-hmm. You know, that's, uh, I'd be thinking, yeah, that's beyond my pay grade. So we, need, we need a young priest and an old priest. <laughs> and a demonologist in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally just get that. Just for good measure. Yeah, so, I mean, come on. No, I was just going to say, have you, have you ever been somewhere with like a, a demonologist or someone, a priest who's performed an exorcism, anything like that, ever witnessed anything like that? Not not witnessed in person. We have called them in twice for a residential investigation, um, wow. but it was one of those where he wanted to go in by himself. So we were actually outside the residence, um, but we have video of him doing it. Um, and I mean, it, it's extremely compelling, um, you know, I, I, because for me, I don't think that demons were human. Um, the spirits that we communicate with, though, I do feel were human. I do think that, you know, when we die, we're made up of energy, which can't be created or destroyed. So I think that the spirits that we're communicating with were at one point human. Um, Demons, on the other hand, I think that they're here because we're supposed to have that good and evil um, experience in life, if you will. Mm. Um, And for us, we don't go looking for demons. We don't go looking for dark. Um, If we find that in a location, uh, say a commercial location, if we find that in a commercial location, then 
we'll we'll leave a, a camera, we'll leave a voice recorder, but we'll back out of that space and we won't continue with our, our our questioning session in that space. We'll go to a you know another building or whatever on the property. Um, but we feel that you know that's not what we're doing. We're not here to communicate with them. We're here to communicate with the spirits that actually legitimately have a story that they want to tell. Um, so good to go back to your question. I've seen them in action, um, but, uh, you know, they're from, for our experience, they're few and far between. Now, I do know that teams have a demonologist on their teams. Um, some have priests on their teams, um, but for us, that's just not what we do. How do you, how do you tell the difference between a, a demon or, or, a, or a good spirit? And what, how, is that something you just feel or? It, it really does come down to feeling um, the the place. I'll go back to brushy um, the place where I felt the most and I wouldn't even call it the demonic. I would call it negative. Um, the place that I felt the most negative was there was a, a, a room on, on the second level of brushy um, that is said to be in, inhabited by something dark. And right. you just it, it may not make sense, but. It's almost like the dark became darker, like the night, like the night became darker, if that makes sense. So you just kind of feel it. It's just kind of like this uneasy, like, eh, I don't know if I want to mess with this tonight. And so, like I said, we'll just, we walked in, put a voice recorder down, said, if you want to communicate with us, speak into this box. Otherwise, you know, we're out. We're going to go talk to somebody who wants to talk yeah. to us. And, you know, I, I feel that's, that's for us, that's how we operate. I mean, I, like I said, I know that there's some investigators who'll go in there and say, you know, punch me and really try to provoke, you know, I'm not going to believe that you're here unless you kick the chair across the room. Uh, that is not what we do. We don't provoke. Um, there'll be times when I say you can't touch us. Um, you need to back away. Uh, you're not, you can't hurt us. We'll go that far. But as far as Provo- provoking something that's not what we do and presumably some of the people who contact you are, are really shook up by what's happening yeah, we do and i think a lot of the people that contact us just want to be believed um you know when you tell somebody that you're a paranormal investigator you either get looked at like you have two heads or they want to tell you their ghost story and you know there's very little gray area between those two extremes yep. and um so when they come to us, it's almost like a, a whisper like I heard that you look for ghosts and it's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a paranormal investigator. What's your problem? And then they really start opening up about, Hey, I think, you know, this has happened in my house. My, my pictures are falling or my dog keeps looking at something that I can't explain. And, you know, my night vision video camera keeps going off. So in that case, then, then we'll, we'll research the house as best we can. We'll go to, you know, the property appraiser, we'll go to public records. We'll try to find some information on the house. We'll try to find from information on the family. Like, like, you know, did grandma just die? Did, did uncle just die somewhere? Is there any tragedy in the family? Um, and then we'll really do an investigation to try to get some of those answers. There's been times where it's, it's as simple as just acknowledging them. Like, you know, I, I acknowledge that you're here. Um, however, this is my space. You can, if, if, if they don't have a problem with it, you can inhabit it with me. You're just not allowed to hurt me. And they're fine with that. They're fine living with that energy. Um, other cases that they, they want it to leave, in which case, the first thing I say is just tell it to leave, you know, and in barring that we'll get a priest in here. We'll bless the house. We'll, we'll sage the house if that's what you want. Um, so we really try to give them options um, depending on what they want to do um, with the information that we find. But okay. I mean, there are some, I'm sorry. 
Get rid of it. That's what I'd be saying. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, in some in, in some cases, it really is just acknowledging. You know that that uh, uh, you know, grandma just died. Uh, I, I think it's grandma. Grandma, are you okay? And then it, it typically it, it it will dissipate in some instances. Um, in other instances, we find out that it is environmental. So, for example, we went into we had a business call us and said, you know, uh, we just opened this business. First couple of weeks in here, uh, we're complete. We're, we're sure that there's an entity in here it keeps our night vision video cameras keep blinking on and off during the night i mean we can't figure this out i know and the guy was like adamant i know it's possessed i know it's haunted you know come in here and so we did a night investigation and we could not find anything none of our equipment uh, you know went off um there was no alerts on anything we didn't feel anything and so what we did we left our night vision video cameras in there and we left the building and, and we just let it run throughout the night. So <clears throat> the next morning I said, did your night vision video cameras go off? And he's like, yes. I said, give me the times that they went off. So when he gave me the times that they went off, I cross reference with my night vision video cameras. And what I found was his video camera was positioned at the front of his store, which was all glass, a, a glass storefront. So when the car, it was right outside of intersection. So when the cars were turned left at night, the headlights were bouncing off of this mirror through the storefront and essentially turning his night vision video camera off and then turning it back on. So I said, just remove the mirror or switch the angle of the camera. And he did that and the paranormal activity stopped. So sometimes it's just looking at things at a different, in a different light, if you will, to try to figure out if it's something environmental or not. Right. I've got a, a story to share with you, Chris, if you'd be interested yeah. to hear. It's not actually mine, it's from my missus. I was talking to my missus in bed last night because I had a vague memory that she mentioned like a decade ago that she'd had a paranormal experience. So I quizzed her about it last night mm-hmm. and she said that when she was a, a child, maybe about eight or nine, she was on holiday in uh, Ireland and she was staying mm-hmm. at her grandma's house because her family's from Ireland. And uh, one night she went to bed early and uh, she was sitting, lying in bed. She hadn't gone to sleep. And she had her eyes closed. And she felt a presence at the end of the bed. Wow. And when she opened her eyes, she said the room was kind of dark and moonlit. But she, make, she could make out a darker figure at the end of the bed. Even make out a hat. Oh, no. Wow. And uh, she went down at Brett. She, she, she was scared. And she just shut her eyes, oh. I think. And uh, oh. She woke up the next morning and told her grandma whose house it was, and she went, oh, that'll just be your granddad, that. <laughs> well, see, and there you go. There's a classic example of grandma living with granddad, and, you know, it would be nice to share it with the young'uns in the house, <laughs> so, so they're not She startled, never slept but... in that room again. <laughs> <laughs> she slept with her mum every other night of the holiday. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Poor little thing. Shadow creatures... Uh, shadow creatures. Shadow figures are quite a... A common mm. um, a, a, a experience, common phenomena, aren't they? Report. In some instances, yes, they are. Um, 
West Virginia State Penitentiary has reports of a shadow figure. Um, and, and so there's been some uh, photographic evidence of that shadow figure that's been captured throughout the years. Uh, there's more so, more so like apparitions, if you will. Uh, we get a lot of reports of that. And we've actually been fortunate enough to capture three of them on camera. Um, the first one was at Fort Mifflin. And we, like I said before, we use laser grids pretty extensively with our night vision video cameras. So there was a subterranean casemate, which is where they had ammunitions. So there was a subterranean casemate. So you got to go down probably about six feet underground to get into this room. And it was used as a solitary confinement cell during the Revolutionary War. So there's only one way in and one way out of this. That's one door. So we had our night vision video camera as well as the laser grid sitting just a little bit in front of that night vision video camera. We were on the completely other side of the fort and during the time that this was captured. But during the night, you can see a shadow figure walk right across the laser grids. It, it, it completely cuts off the laser grids. And um, it, it was probably about, I would say about five and a half to six feet because the doorway was that high. Um, so that was extremely compelling. That's the first time we've captured a shadow figure on film. Um, wow. The next one was at the Gilcrest County Jail, which is in Trenton, Florida, which is about an hour west of Gainesville, Florida. This is an old jail, but it's a small jail. It is two stories, but it's a small footprint. It only has four cells per story. And um, it was built in 1928. It was an operation to 1968. And it's reported to be extremely haunted. And we've been there twice and just had amazing experiences both times. But we had um, a night vision video camera, again, with our laser grid set up down this little hallway in the, on the first story. And it was so hot the night we investigated the first time that we were kind of standing outside the door, um, just kind of getting some breeze. And um, I noticed you could see the hallway and I noticed the shadow figure go from right to left. And again, I said, oh, you know, holy shit, did y'all see that? And I said, if you're, if you're here, can you do it again? So the shadow figure walks back from left to right and it cuts off the laser grids again. And we captured that on camera. So um, for us, it's extremely compelling when we do capture that. It's rare. Um, but when you capture those, those moments, it is uh, extremely exciting. Can you, can you make out like limbs of the figure? Is it, is it more like a, a clout, like a, I don't know. Can you make out arms and legs and a head? And (laughs) (laughs) And not on those instances. Um, The only way that we could tell that anything was walking is because the laser grids, uh, the laser beams, because when you, when we turn it on, there's like a thousand beams of light, essentially the little laser beams. So the, the, the shadow figure walks through those beams and it's cut off. So that's the only way we actually know. So if we didn't have the laser grid, we probably would not have caught the shadow figure. It would have been too Um, dark, would it? Yeah, exactly. We probably wouldn't have known what, it was um and the same thing at brushy when we saw that shadow f- uh, cross in front of the rem pod we couldn't make anything out other than it was just a shadow um now i will say we were at uh, the manger hotel which is in san antonio texas and the reports are that there's um it, it, it's a gr- really it's a grand hotel but it's got a big uh, rotunda um in the middle and it's multi-story so we we're on the third story and this is about two o'clock at night and we were just doing a, you know, a, a rudimentary investigation again, but they had this big mirror on one side of this rotunda. And the reports are that the, the room that's beside this mirror was where a, a woman committed suicide back in the early 1920s. And so when we were just kind of taking some digital pictures, just, you know, snapping pictures everywhere. And so 
we had about 50 pictures of this mirror from different angles. And so we were going through them. And in one of these pictures, you can very clearly make out the profile of a woman and she's smiling. You see her, her blonde hair. She's got a bow in her hair. She's wearing a blue dress and she's kind of like looking down kind of like a, a, in a small smile on her face. So in that instance, we absolutely can make out what it was. Um, We actually ended up taking it to the management and they said it was the best example of, of of a paranormal um, evidence that they've, they've seen at the hotel. Wow. That's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it was what? pretty cool. When we captured it, I was like, this is very cool, especially <laughs> when you know the story behind it as well. Yeah. Yeah. What are, your, what are your plans for the future, your future investigations? What's coming up for Soul Sisters? Uh, well, we have three investigations um, that we're going through the evidence uh, of that right now. Um, we investigated a, a funeral home, a jail, as well as a hotel um, during the last couple of months. We were fortunate enough to sneak in between the layers of quarantine. Um, so we got those investigations that we're going through all of our, our footage right now. Um, we have been invited to several conferences and paracons where we'll be speaking. Um, we've already had two cancel, which is unfortunate, but... The next one is going to be in October in uh, New Mexico. So we'll be driving out for that. And we've got several investigations that we hope to get done before the end of the year. Those that have been kind of, you know, um, rescheduled thanks to what's going on right now. Right. Well, that's great. So it's a busy year for us right now. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, we're we're knocking up to time. uh, Nine o'clock now. Have you anything to add, chaps? Uh, I was going to ask just a a quick one. What is the best paranormal (laughs) film like the most, <laughs> the most accurate, accurate, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we're going from Casper the Friendly Ghost <laughs> to Paranormal Activity, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, for us, and this don't sound. This, I hope this doesn't sound hokey. It it is Ghostbusters for us. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 just in the sense of we try to approach our investigations similar to what that team does. Um, you know, for us, it is extremely scientific. We go in with that scientific research background. We go in with that historical research background, and so we really want to delve into what happens. Um, and and so from that aspect, I would say Ghostbusters um, without you know stay puffed and stuff. So. <laughs> he's here he's here i know I, I see your little ecto too i love i love the license plate which, which one are you then are you egon chris uh either that or venkman i think yeah definitely. everybody wants to be venkman yeah exactly he does have a tiny penis <laughs> well okay <laughs> right then in that competition he wins then yeah uh yeah what was his name pecker wasn't it the uh, the guy who was trying yeah. to shut him down yeah that's that's what it was yeah pecker <laughs> right then we'll call time on that one thanks very much chris for coming and talking to us yeah, mm. thank you absolutely thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it been really interesting and best of luck with your forthcoming investigations and hope it all goes well thanks phil i appreciate it um just stay on the line for us while we play ourselves out and um yeah excellent solstice <laughs> Don't forget to check the links. You've no excuse. Just go and listen and go to the website. It's all there. Just click on it. It's fine. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I did, yeah. Okay, uh, then. We... <laughs> Is that it? Is that it? 
All right, right. playing us in. <laughs> right, that was our interview with Christy Sumner from Soul Sisters Paranormal. Oh, what happened to the in the intro music? I thought you were doing Don't the intro need it. Music we'll, we'll put it in. I've already put it. I've already put it I've already recorded it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Not only hear it. Right then, that was our interview with Christy Sumner. <laughs> Christy Sumner from Soul Sister Paranormal. I'm dealing with well, such fucking amateurs here. <laughs> do you know? But, made me you know, cry. That's that's all pretty hot material right there. That's like two minutes Absolutely, worth. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't record Gags. it. That was didn't the record best. It. You didn't record it. No, I, I stopped because you, you were fucking about, so I stopped. Yes, well, that's your own fault, isn't it? Not mine. <laughs> That's the best bit of the podcast. Uh, that so, was great. I, I really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, it was good. Yes. Yeah, I don't know how she does it or her her and the Soul Sisters go into those awful places and get freaked out and not oh, run away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be, be running. I'd be running the other way. Yeah, I think that's the problem, isn't it? That you. I think I, you start thinking too much about it, but maybe you go beyond that when you're. Uh, when you're investigating it, it becomes just another job. Yeah, we could have asked, you know, does it uh, does each time get a bit easier to, uh, you know, I'd imagine your mm. first paranormal experience will really give you the willies and then after, you know, Peter six or seven me. investigations, it's just another day <laughs> at the office, isn't it? Yeah, but you must, you must get that sort of jolt of excitement. Otherwise, oh, yeah. why would you keep doing it? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. This is the thing is, you see, it sounds like you... It's dealing with very base human instincts, isn't it? That kind of fear reaction and, you know, like the hairs standing up on the back of your neck and things like that. There must be dead, like, theoretical <laughs> physicists who, are, you know, had that, that, they were right on the cusp of, like, a unifying theory of everything. And they knew the answer, and then they were hit by a bus. And they, they must be, like, waiting to tell someone that, that thing and you, you've got all these people going in and say move the cup if you're in the room it's like i'm trying to tell you the solution to, <laughs> to this, I'm link quantum this theory. equation yeah. <laughs> no one asked me this <laughs> um yeah. loads of news this week i oh, think um i think i should change my name t- from amish phil just to nostradamus nostril one because I have a clip from last week's show. They're going to make it a taboo, right, to not wear a mask. So that's the first sort of, sort of type of coercion. And then when that doesn't work, they'll just make it a law, and it'll probably come next week. Put on your fucking muzzle if you go to the shop. Absolutely. <laughs> and just saying absolutely. It happened. Yeah, no, it was obvious, because this, this is the gameplay. The I think I might now, be a soothsayer. It? No, you're you know, just catching on to the, the, the strategy they've been using in it's that kind of gradual drip by drip thing, isn't it? All right, then I'll tell you what, I'll make a prediction for next week. Do it. Go on, Do then. it. I predict that next week, Joe Biden is going to make some sort of four par. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's null and void. <laughs> yeah. um, His entire life is a four par. Yeah, he came out again and, uh, and said this. Science requires a timetable for measuring progress on climate that isn't three decades or even two. 
Science tells us we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. Nine years to save the planet, fools. Nine years. Yep. I saw I, I saw the Mar- Marlon uh, Baker video. Didn't watch it though. It says he's. I think he's critiqued it. Has he? Nine years to save the world. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's his neck of the woods. It's in, nonsense. Uh, climate change. Yes. Yeah. Um, last week's guest, guest Marlon Baker has an excellent video on. Uh, well, he's got loads of excellent videos on climate change. Full stop. But mm-hmm. he did do one this mm-hmm. week um, where he. Uh, it sort of kind of debunked the uh, the whole nine year thing. Mm. So, I don't know. Nine years is loads of time. Look how much we've achieved <laughs> in the last nine years. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's happened in the last nine years? I don't know. To be fair, <laughs> slightly faster internet. <laughs> uh, we've used. There's been periods of weeks, hasn't there, where we've used no fossil fuels. I think. Or maybe no coal. Maybe no coal. Oh, they take all the cars off the road as well. Electric cars. They did that. Well, for the grid. <laughs> right. For the grid. Yeah. That's been periods, isn't it? I've no idea. I don't, I don't you should have just built that tidal lagoon anyway. That's what I was excited about. Uh, hasn't that been, did. That's been scrapped, hasn't it? Shell? Yeah. Yeah. Kaiba. Yeah. It's too expensive. Worked, or was it oh, was it expensive? Too expensive, yeah. Although the predictions were that it was going to cost less than what the latest uh, nuclear power plant's going to cost per kilowatt or something. Oh. Kilowatt hour, is it called or something? Yeah. 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 Um, going back to the masks, um, right. there's a really good YouTube channel called Unheard. And it's like a pop-up channel that started when the COVID uh, outbreak yeah. and the lockdown It's heard as in sheep, isn't it? Un- unheard. H-E-R-D. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, they have some cracking interviews with epidemiologists and scientists and stuff. And the, the thing is, it's like they had a video on uh, the other day with uh, Carl Hennigan on, who's an epidemiologist. And if you watch Newsnight, you'll have seen him on there. But you know what it's like? You're going to get five minutes of a, of a segment and so he might get to speak for 90 seconds or two minutes of it. Whereas, you know, on YouTube, you can hear this guy talk for three quarters of an hour about the subject of COVID. And um, they did a video this week. It was Carl Hennigan and another epidemiologist based in Rome called uh, Tom Jefferson. And the first section of the interview was all about the mass. So I've taken some clips because I think it's really interesting about the efficacy or or not of mass, which is particularly pertinent, isn't it? Because it's it's law from Thursday that you have to wear yep. a mask. So here's clip one. Um, so let me go to Tom then. You, you've been studying these uh, non-medical or these physical interventions for years. Uh, what is your view of the wisdom of requiring mask use among the wider community? Specifically on masks, there's... there's no evidence uh, that masks, apart, aside from uh, people who are exposed uh, in front lines, so healthcare workers, that masks actually make any difference. Um, but that is uh, extraordinary um, in its own. But what is even more extraordinary is that what I'm describing is uncertainty. We don't know whether these things make any difference. 
We don't know whether they make any difference by the type of agent that we're looking at. Uh, we don't know whether the materials or anything like that, the way they're fastened, the length of uh, use and so on, make any difference. These are non-healthcare worker settings, okay? That's pretty categorical about the uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all the studies have been in healthcare settings, right? Which no. Which is why there's... there's no, oh, there have been some out, We're coming outside. on to that, I'm afraid. Ah, okay. Let's go, no, to, let's go to clip two. Uh, the interviewer is called Eddie... Ah, I've forgotten his blank. Freddie, Freddie Sayers. Freddie yeah. Sayers is called. Um, and he does a really good job of asking the right questions. And, and obviously, the common wisdom... It seems to be that we should be wearing masks and, uh, you know, it's the law. So he probes him on this matter. On masks, though, um, I have seen studies that have been widely shared on social media mm. that, that investigate, the, you know, on, a, on the kind of physical level, um, how much a mask can reduce the spread of particles. And, um, you know, there is evidence that masks work in that setting, isn't there? Even though there may not be evidence of the kind of in a sort of controlled sample style. Freddie, uh, we're dealing with some of the most slippery customers in the market, respiratory viruses. It's not just a question of the bug and the uh, person, it's also the setting, which is why all these laboratory-based experiments with plumes, for instance, there are studies looking at the plume of droplets coming out of mask A versus mask B and so on, have to be treated with extreme care. What we really should be doing is our experiments, trials, in the population. And we have to, we have to do them when there's virus circulating. So he's, he's very, very forthright in emphasising that these mechanistic studies that have been done in labs have to be taken with extreme care, he says. And that these studies need to be done in in society. But the problem is, is that he does say in the interview that should have been done in February, March, and April. The problem we have is we, we don't have enough of the virus about now to do these studies. You'd need thousands and thousands and thousands of enrollees to make it worthwhile. Need to do it in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe someone should want someone should be doing it. Anyway, let's go on to clip three. But isn't it a matter of common sense? As soon as Freddie says, isn't it a matter of common sense, one of the epidemiologists sort of smiles <laughs> because you think it's a matter of common sense, but it's not. So it, at all. I mean, do you, do you believe that wearing a face covering reduces the amount that a respiratory virus can be transmitted, even though you may not have a population-wide study to prove it? The problem, the, the problem with that particular uh, belief is that the one arm of a randomized controlled trial, which was published in 2015, so one, one section of the people who took part in, in the study in Southeast Asia, wore cloth masks. Okay? And they found that these cloth masks not only didn't work, but actually probably uh, saliva and secretions and the wetness made them more permeable to uh, incoming agents. So what I'm describing, really, is complete uncertainty. From You won't hear that on the BBC. No, I mean, it makes sense, though. 
So the yeah. one study that has been done in a population-wide out in society using different types of masks, the cloth masks were found to have no no meaningful effect positively and possibly had a negative effect in spreading the virus. Do you think the government... Boris's hands just being forced because Nicola Sturgeon came out and said, right, you all got to wear masks. I think that's why it is. And I think, do you not think he's just trying to, I suppose, I don't know. In the future, he can't, he can't um, be accused of not trying everything, I suppose. Well, basically, yeah. You would hope not. It's a bit of a strange one. Because he isn't Prime Minister of Scotland, is he? He's Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Uh, the final clip, they do go on to the area of policy and how the science is used to decide policy or not, as the case may be. Last one. 24th of July in the UK, it's going to be mandatory to wear masks in shops. It sounds, would I be right in saying that what? you don't think that sounds like a necessary or wise step? Or? Well, look, the job of evidence-based medicine is to inform decision, not to be the decision. And this is an incredibly important point that I think a lot of people don't get when you're actually in healthcare and actually they're making decisions. So both Tom has been a general practitioner and and at the weekends I still work as an urgent care GP. I use the evidence to inform you about the benefits and the harms. So the question is, if you were in policy and asked us about what are the benefits and harms, we would tell you now that there is significant uncertainty. Any evidence that you bring to the table will be mechanistic, will be weak observational evidence, which has been shown over decades to have flaws. So by all means, people can wear masks or not wear masks. Policy can make the decision. But what they can't do is say it's an evidence based decision. I just thought that was really interesting. It is. Are they saying it's an evidence-based decision? We're we're following the science. (laughs) We're following the science, that's what they say. That's what they say, yeah. Ah, right, okay. And Chris Whitty, you know, says we'll say we're following the science, and Patrick Vance (laughs) will say we're following the science. The problem is, is how good is the science? The point that they're making is they're taking these lab these lab studies with the plumes of smoke going through, and it shows that some particulates get trapped in the mask. Right, but how long does the mask get worn for? What about people fucking with the mask once once they've been wearing it for an hour? Does it work for this pathogen and not other pathogens? It's weak as fuck. I saw I saw a guy in, in B&Q yesterday, because around my neck of the woods, you already have to wear a mask. They won't let you in, because it's a... Hot zone. Uh, hot zone yeah so um yeah this guy was in b&q and he was he was trying to get a plastic bag open pulled his mask down <laughs> licked his finger got the bag open put his mask back up this is why it's stuff like that don't you this is why you need studies to be done in society because mm. you, because a lab a lab controlled uh experiment isn't going to pick up on things like that no. no, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head last week, Phil, when you mentioned muzzle. So basically what they should set up are muzzling points <laughs> everywhere. And yeah. you have to go and get your you have to get your muzzle fitted at nine AM <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, you have your, you have a dinner, you go back and they feed dinner through the muzzle. 
yeah. at one yeah. and then you go back again at five and they feed tea through the muzzle and then just before bedtime they take the muzzle off yeah. and then you go home that sounds they good they could just use a normal no, mask and shackle you if they shackle <laughs> your arms and legs you ain't gonna be able to uh, that sounds great that. when do when do we get yeah. sterilized <laughs> It's already happened. I think that's August 24th. Is it August? Right. Okay. Good. Can't wait. <laughs> no. I think the thing is, is the other thing about the evidence is that uh, one study is, is not enough, is it? One study in Singapore or wherever it was um, isn't enough because it's obviously not just the difference in sort of like the pathogen, but cultural differences as well. It's one data point. Exactly. And yeah. you need and you need hundreds of studies and then a meta or a meta as you two say. Um analysis of it, don't you, basically? In an ideal you world. You don't have that. And you, but the other thing is is that's the thing about things in a lab not being the same as in real life, that's very true, but that can be thrown at every single sociological slanted yeah, but experiment ever we are um, we are animals and we live in a society you've, you've, well no yeah that's what i'm saying that's why you can't you can't laboratorize no no you that. can't can you you have to test it in the wild don't you to get yeah. to get but mean, even then to get meaningful results it, even then, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? They say that they test. You have to get. You have to test X thousands of people to even out all the all the stupid people who lie and all the rest of it. And well, yeah, just to improve your, just to improve your data. It's not a case of ironing out stupid people. We know they're there. But the the bigger your sample size, the more reliable your results are going to be. That's what I mean. So yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to, you know, just con- you know, you get you could get a hundred idiots, couldn't you? Well, maybe, maybe this maybe this is the experiment maybe this is the experiment and you get everyone to wear masks and if the you know if it yeah. if it goes down then there's your evidence mm. if it goes up then whatever there's there's whoops. your evidence whoops yeah well mm. yeah whoops yeah slightly worrying about uh cloth masks being Mm. Potentially worse. I've got an idea. That, that Potentially lethal. If you were, yeah. if, you, if you're going to conduct an experiment, maybe don't do it on sixty million people. But but sample size. <laughs> mm. I like your picture. You got Vigo like me. I've yeah, I know. Yeah, go for Chris. I tried to print a A3 one, and it just it just gave me um, a giant nose. Crotch. I, I thought it was quite good. Is that A3? But, <laughs> no, it's much bigger. <laughs> it's just oh, really far yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's quite good. I might leave it up. <laughs> it's a bit freaky. Um, there's another b- massive story. Uh, another massive COVID story this week. Um, the, another the, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Public Health England getting into trouble. Oh the, God, oh, yeah. For the oh, way for the stats for the way they record the deaths. Every single person who's died has had COVID. Ever. Yeah, irrecoverable disease, COVID nineteen. Yeah, you cannot recover from it. Do you know? You know what? How I thought they counted the deaths. I thought they would just sort of um, count the dead people. When when a hospital had someone who died with COVID, they maybe send an email of, of a death certificate <laughs> to Public Health England. No. Do you know how do they that. do it? Do you know how they do it? Pigeon. They search the NHS database. 
um, for everyone who's who's been tested positive for COVID, and if they're dead, they go, they go. <laughs> if they've died that day, they go on the death figures. So, oh my god! So the situation sake. is, if you get COVID, if you if you tested positive for COVID in March and recovered, and then got hit by a bus today. You're a, you're a COVID death as <laughs> far as public public health England concerned. Have you not heard of COVID buses? No. And also... Yeah, what about the brain fog? <laughs> what about... wandered into a bus. The problem going forward is, all right, you had COVID in March and you recovered. You then die of flu in January. That's a COVID mm. death. Mm. So I'm going to make another prediction. I think it's going to be a very mild flu season this year. <laughs> yeah. Because they're already and, dead. And very, very few road traffic accident deaths. <laughs> no murders. No. Can you believe no how inept it is? It's stupid. Who's in charge? Oh, there is someone in charge of Public Health England. Who is it? Have you got a clip? No, <laughs> I should have. But you know, I just, yeah, it just, you just think, how could they get get it so wrong again? Because nobody, maybe people are just making stuff up on the fly. The systems aren't there to record something like this. So the, the government is probably putting so much pressure on them to say, we need this, we need these figures. How can you do it? How can you do it? And probably someone's just gone, well, the only way we can do it is everyone who dies who's had COVID will just cross reference. Oh, you know yeah, what you did? Been... It's really, it's, it's this complicated, right? He set up a <laughs> Gmail account called COVID Deaths. Right, and then you email every trust and say, if you have a COVID death this day, email this fucking email and attach no. your death certificate. You can't do that. And then you just check your inbox. Oh, I've got ten emails. Right, well that's ten deaths. You don't even have to open do it you know if you don't want. It'll be, it'll be, um, be better than the system they've been fucking using. Is a joke. There's a data issue as well, isn't there? A data protection issue because that was in the news today. Oh, what's that? In that, uh, I don't know if it's Public Health England or some kind of central body hasn't been, when they've been trying to do this track and trace thing, they haven't been sharing the full information with the council. So I think they're giving a partial postcode or just a postcode, but not names and dates of birth of people who've tested positive. Oh. So it makes it like virtually impossible for then the council, local authority to trace it. Basically. <laughs> oh changing that. Oh my God. That's just been changed in the last few... Well, the, talk about being changed this weekend, I think. It's been an issue for a few weeks. When do people start losing their jobs over this nonsense? <laughs> I don't know. It's just still panic stations, isn't it, at what, the moment, I think. Well, <laughs> what skill set do you need to, to be in one of these focus groups that decide how we how we deal with, with um, you know, mega-pandemics? Oh, to be on Sage or Cobra <laughs> Cabinet Office briefing briefing room A. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Cobra. <laughs> yeah, I think you could get on Sage, Ben. You reckon? Yeah. No, not All right. really. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm starting apply now. <laughs> start sending children home from nursery. What your nursery? Hmm. What do you mean? Because they were, because they had, there's a cold going around the nursery. Oh. So um, they got snotty noses 
when I dropped when I took the baby in for his uh, his settling in sessions, I noticed I spied in the corner of my eye a girl with a green snotty nose. I thought, for fuck's sake, mine's gonna get in in a week's gonna come home with a snotty nose. So he did, and uh, in the eldest class there was a girl who coughed. They said for ten minutes, um, and she was sent home from nursery. But then when you look at, because I was thinking, for fuck's sake, right, so we're going to have to get tested, they're going to shut down the class or that. But if you look at the NHS's website, it says the things you need to look for are a high temperature, a persistent cough, and that's characterised as (coughs) coughing for an hour or more, or three coughing sessions in a day, one day. And then the final one is a, a... uh, a loss of taste or smell and she didn't have any of those but she was sent home because she coughed and was she told to isolate not come no, back just sent home for the day just been tested pardon just sent home for the day then was she back the next day well sent home and I think her mum and dad took it upon themselves to get her tested oh. and she came back negative yeah so and there's been some other there's another lad in the class that's been tested and he's come back positive, uh, negative as well Right. I mean, so, it seems a lot less prevalent than it has been, doesn't it? seems like we're over the worst yeah. of it. Well, I don't know, yeah. I think the other thing as well is that they may have had it and it's gone because I think it's for the is it the swab test at the back of your throat. Yeah. I think there's like a four or five day window mm. when that's effective. Oh. So when I was reading about it, because I was looking at taking hours to get tested until they all came back as negative, and then they've not had any of those symptoms. Um, but yeah, there's a four or five day window. I think it's, as soon as you start showing symptoms, you've got to go. Otherwise, it's probably too late. That's a bit shit, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the antibody test. You don't, you don't have antibodies circulating for every disease you've ever had all the time in your bloodstream. What? The, the immune response is triggered by, you know, the antigen that that infects, but your body then produces the antibodies. Mm. So if you if we all get antibody testing, this mass testing that they're talking about, that's only going to come in probably after Christmas. Pointless. If if we've got it now, we're going to test negative on that, and and the that we'll be told that no, we've never had COVID. That's mm. that's not strictly true. Mm. The longer it goes on, I think the more I think we're just going to have to live with this. Yeah, mm. like we live with every other circulating respiratory disease. Yeah, yeah. Some people will die. Some um, people will not die. Going back to the um, is life. Going back to the unheard interview, they had they made a real good point about um, fever hospitals. And that what's that? Well, we used to have fever hospitals up until the, I think it was the late eighties or early nineties. And What's the, that? Where you were, isolated people, kind of? Yeah, they were they were specially designed, like single story, no yeah. elevator shafts. These hospitals, and and they were they were able to isolate people within them, particularly yeah, for this right, thing. Okay. They were they were. I think they came. They started them after the Spanish flu, and obviously we've got right. rid of all them because you know, <laughs> can't afford them. I'm gonna need them again, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> It costs a lot to maintain an asbestos-riddled single-story <laughs> medical yeah. unit, though, doesn't it? Uh, there was a big um, 
Twitter story this week. Did you hear about the Twitter hack? Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made. I heard that they actually made some money out of this. About, people did about it. hundred and twenty thousand dollars in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But essentially, um, I've got a list of the notable people who were hacked: Apple, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Kanye West, Mike Bloomberg. Um, they were hooked and they were hacked rather, and 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 they tweeted out like a Bitcoin address. Saying mm. if you don't, if you send a thousand dollars in Bitcoin mm-hmm. to this address, we'll double your money. Yeah, and that was the um, that was the scam. But I mean, Didn't, it's quite frightening, really. The do you know what happened? This money. What happened? It was apparently when I read about it, it was um, a, a Twitter employee's. I think work account had been hacked and that's how they got in basically. Yeah. But they managed to shut it down, didn't they? For quite quickly, but <clears throat> it already too late. They shut down every verified account. <laughs> they had to shut down every blue check mark because, um, okay. the thing is people think, Oh, a bit of hacking Bitcoin, uh, no big deal. I mean, one tweet from Elon Musk can tank Tesla's stock. Mm. One he does tw- that anyway, doesn't he? You know, people. I mean, you could you could almost start a war with a tweet in this day and age. Oh yeah, this yeah, they, need, they need to get their fucking yes, trying his best. <laughs> Notable exception, Trump. He didn't get he hacked. hacked. No, POTUS. Well, the theory is is that because he got deactivated in 2017 by a disgruntled Twitter contractor. <laughs> So the, oh, yeah, the yeah. theory is, is that maybe his account has some extra layer of security around it. Yeah, but it does, yeah. But it's, it's quite frightening. So. The other thing that mm. was an eye-opener to me was that the hackers sent a screenshot of the Twitter admin's control panel. Did you see that? Nice. Did you see yeah, it? No, I've not seen no, you know, it. Because, you know, Twitter doesn't shadow ban people. They have, what you does know, that mean again? Shadow banning, where they, they sort of hide you from search <laughs> results and stuff. All oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, people who they don't agree with, people who aren't left are woke enough. <laughs> um, so some of the, I've got a li- uh, what were the controls? Um, you Shadow could, ban. <laughs> uh, search blacklist. Ooh, Ooh you, can't, you can't use the term blacklist. That's not woke. Uh, yeah, they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna <laughs> get, in, they're gonna get in trouble for this. I think, aren't they? Search blacklist, mm. trends blacklist. Ooh. So yeah, so um. They do shadow ban people. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't that more like when someone searches, say, for, like, snuff porn? Isn't that not... Well, I mean, there's a search blacklist, as in they don't want... No, it's on the account, this. Things typed in. It's on the account. So it's just a button. So you can put search, search blacklist, and then if someone searches for... Oh, right, for okay. you, presumably you you won't come up, or you'll be further down the list. Mm. Well, mm. what in, what interested me is I bet some of these people might be a bit worried. The people who were hacked about what was in the DMs, and if uh, the hackers oh, had yeah. access to the direct messages. A lot of them have it turned off, though, don't they? The messaging stuff. I don't know. Don't know. A lot of them do. Well, the other thing is, is if if they don't, they will surely get thousands with thousands of messages in there. I think you can uh, 
you can probably filter it so that you just have a few people who you're allowed to get messages off. I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to look okay. into it. But yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. It's almost a full podcast right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 9.38. Two, four, one. Shall I um, shall I finish on a quote, an uplifting quote? Yes. No, is, it, is it uplifting now? It is. It depends on your perspective. Because yeah. <laughs> all we've had is like doom and gloom for the last few months. Mm. I've been reading this book about the Jewish revolt. and um, Your favourite revolt? It's the one of the biggest, yeah. OG. Mm. And uh, there's a section about the Siege of Gamala, which is a town in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And you've got a picture. This town is, like, built on a really steep slope. And it's got, like, three walls, defensive walls. And then up the slope, it's like a ravine at the back of it. And... Uh, Vespasian breaks through the walls and uh, it doesn't go well at first because it's a tightly packed town. They get engaged and bogged down in like house to house fighting with the Jews, uh, like a guerrilla style thing and get their arses handed to them. So they fall back and then uh, once they've recovered, the Romans, um, Vespasian sends his son Titus in, in like an SAS style, (laughs) 200 man going an hour before dawn take out the sentries, open the floodgates, and they're successful, and they open the gates, and the legions fucking pile in, just starting laying waste to fucking everyone. It's a slaughter. And the the people in the town are getting forced up, up and up the town towards the ravine. So I have a passage. Uh, While some men fought grimly on, others abandoned the struggle as enemy missiles began to drop from overhead and the air filled with the screaming of terrified women and children. Many of the people of Gamala, knowing that death was but minutes away, now plunged over the precipice into the ravine. Fear drove them over, fear of laceration by steel blades, of a lingering death, of deliberate torture, of gang rape. So the final choice for many men in Gamala's terrible last moments was to throw their wives and children into the abyss and then to follow them. Wow, uplifting. So, you know, if you think it's bad, just remember it could be worse. You have to throw your, your wife and child into a fucking ravine. You think we've got problems? That's, <laughs> no. that's fucking heavy shit. It upset me. It upset me reading that. Mm. But this was the reality for some people, and you've got to be look. You've got to be thankful for what you've got, and be positive. Damn straight. Are you going to go into the house and throw your children onto the sofa? Nope. <laughs> it's almost like like a judgment day and terminating <laughs> mode. Like <clears throat> so. Anything else to add? They are. Do they yeah. So? So amazing in their love. I'm a Marxist. (laughs) Shall we fuck off then? Shall we go? Yeah. Any more? I got hairy legs. Because I'm literally a communist. (laughs) Right. Uh, Rudy next week. Rudolph from Thoth Hermes podcast. (laughs) 
That's going to be ace. Yeah. <laughs> Light some candles, yo. Yeah, pound, pound some dicks while we're at it. Here's more from Dick Pound. So right then, smell you later, eavesdroppers. Mm. Ta-ra for now. Bye. Ta-ra. Bye. Jesus Christ. Can't have children with a whore. It's got a great 